All right, good morning, everybody. Okay, we will uh, start. I left my Bible somewhere. Can I borrow one of these? No, I, I'm pretty sure I left it upstairs this time. <laughs> okay, um, so we're going to start the Gospel of Mark. And um, so, uh, this organization, Pastor Bukes and I have been using with uh, students a lot, and I, I, he used it with you with the Song of Solomon a couple weeks ago, is the Bible Project. And I find their introduction way more entertaining than my introduction, so I thought I would use them. The, um, they, they have a, uh, they call it a poster, but it's, it's, a, it's a handout that was by the attendance list. It, this will be, we'll just be using this as a frame of reference for our uh, time together for the rest of the year. Um, so, I, well, we, you, yeah, I was going to say, you could, you can keep it, um, we had a little computer snafu this morning, server went down, so typically the handout will be on the back of it. So, whether you want to laminate it, you can, you're, f- you're free to laminate it, but you might be getting new ones, but um, today you're just going to have to use notes, just right on the back if you want to. Okay, great. Uh, feel free to watch that again in the pleasure of your own home. So the uh, Bible Project does a great job of, of giving us a holistic thing. Um, but if you have your Bibles, turn into Mark chapter 1. The, um, in, in the Gospel of Mark, there are, are a variety of things that um, help move this story along. The, um, the, the thing that the video made abundantly clear was the fact that Jesus or the Gospel of Mark is combating any sort of worldly understanding of Jesus. That the only way that you can know Jesus is, is through faith, by the real, re- revealing of, of, of God himself. So we, in Mark chapter 1, and then in Mark chapter 9, we have God speaking from the clouds at the baptism of Jesus, referring to who Jesus is. This is my beloved Son, with whom I will please. That's uh, Mark chapter 1. The baptismal text is 9 through 11. And then you have it in the Transfiguration, like, like they said, where God then exp- speaks then to Peter, James, and John. At the baptism, only, he's only speaking to Jesus. And... The Transfiguration, in Mark chapter 9, he's, he's speaking to Peter, James, and John. And, um, again, there is this uh, kind of unveiling of Jesus as the story goes along. Because in the beginning, Mark 1 through 8, Jesus is continually telling the demons, who are the only ones who actually know who he is, to be quiet. Or he's telling people who have been healed by Jesus, don't just keep it to yourself. And the reason why that is, is, as the video had said, is that people are continually misunderstanding who Jesus is for their own ends. Um, most, the most popular one is that Jesus has now come to kick the Romans out of Israel and reestablish the, divinity, uh, the, the David reign, the reign of, of David. Well, of course, Jesus is going to do that, 
but not become a political king, but he's going to become a divine king, and he is going to restore the, the divinic uh, kingship, but not in the way everyone thinks. So you have this unveiling along, and of course, there's only one place in the Gospel of Mark where one person understands who Jesus is, and that is the centurion in Mark chapter 15, verse 39, or 38. Yeah, 39. Um, So it's not until the end of the gospel that you actually see who Jesus is uh, from, from the people within this story itself. Because, of course, as a reader, we already know who Jesus is in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. All right, so as we read the Gospel of Mark and we see how people either misunderstand Jesus or you have Jesus keep telling people to be quiet, you have to become aware of the fact that this is all driving to this one confession of faith by the Roman centurion in Roman, uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 39. That the only way you know who Jesus is is by looking at the cross, his death. Okay, so that, that's really important. It's important for a variety of reasons, but mainly for, for us is, is we uh, follow Jesus. So this goes back, so you have trying to figure out who Jesus is, but how you're trying to figure out Jesus, who Jesus is, is is precisely by following Jesus. So nobody who's following Jesus understands Jesus. Now, in the middle, in Mark chapter 8, verse um, 26 or 25, you have this special scene, and this we'll, we'll actually read this in church in a couple weeks in Lent, uh, Lent 2, where Jesus says to the, to the disciples, okay, so now hang on, there's 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 8, you have this hinge moment where Jesus has spent the last eight chapters revealing who he is, whether it be through preaching, teaching, or miracles, and really, for Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, those are all kind of synonymous. They're all doing something that are basically the same, revealing who he is, which is kind of different than how we understand Jesus. But um, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus now has his 12 disciples, and they say, who do people say I am? Which is really a question of, like, who, who, who do you think I am? Uh, it's a Hebrew way of understanding oneself. You never understand yourself alone, always in relationship to others. So that's why he has to say, who do people say I am? Um, of, of course, they say, some say Elijah, you know, some say uh, one of the prophets. And then he says, no, 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 who do you say I am? And then Peter speaks for the 12, you are the Christ. You're like, hey, he's got it. It's right. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, there's no response from Jesus to say, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for no man has revealed this to you, but only the Father in heaven. That's not, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen in the Gospel of Mark. Which we'll talk about later in terms of differences as we, as we roll along. Um, so Jesus is like, okay, if this is actually a true statement from Peter, Let's fill up what that means. Hey, I'm going to go die. And Peter obviously says, no way. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. 
So it's obvious that Peter doesn't know what he's talking about. He might use the right words, but he actually doesn't know what that is. Okay. So, as disciples, we have this time with Jesus, following him along. He's called us to be his disciples. We responded in faith. We've seen, we've heard his preaching. We've heard his teaching. We've seen his, his miracles of forgiving sins. And Jesus asks us routinely, who do you say I am? And we respond with a confession. You are the Christ. But what the Gospel of Mark is helpful for us is that we, would re- we respond with the right words. That's, I mean, Peter, this is right. He is, he is the Christ. This is right. But Peter's understanding is incomplete. And it's only by following Jesus that this will become fuller or more. And so as disciples of Jesus, we never say to ourselves, I, I, I fully get it. Usually how it comes is like, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't need to go to Bible study. I don't need to read my Bible because I think Pastor Brzezik has said this, right? Because I was confirmed in eighth grade or I went to a Lutheran day school, right? It, within our Lutheran tradition. Um, we're always on this way with Jesus because he is revealing more and more of who he is as the Christ Son of God. And the full revelation of who he is from our human perspective, we won't fully understand this until till death. Mark chapter 10, I read in the chapel, James and John come up to Jesus and say, hey, just do whatever we say. And he says, yeah, tell me, what, what do you want? Can I sit in your right and left hand in your kingdom? He's like, yeah, you don't know what you're asking. It's not, it's, uh, it's for those who've been prepared for. And he says, you know, besides, are you, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you be to baptize with the baptism that I'm being baptized with? Which is a reference to the crucifixion. And they're like, yeah, of course we are. Which, of course, in the Gospel of Mark, they, they don't, right? Everyone flees, as the video said. Everyone leaves. However... Jesus says, you will be baptized and you will drink this cup because he's making explicit reference to their death. They don't know that yet. So he's making reference to his death and because they are disciples of his, they also too will proceed in the same way or or will will walk in the same way as Jesus and it it will be in that moment where they fully grasp what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. Which, in the Gospel of Mark, is this crazy ending. We'll get to it when we get to it, but to kind of explain about how, you know, hey, my little note in my Bible says this wasn't part of the uh, earliest manuscripts. Is it trustworthy? Yes, it's trustworthy. It's part of Scripture. But... This, that's just kind of, we'll have to learn about what it means, how did Scripture come about. But, needless to say, uh, verse 8 is, is the uh, ending that Mark wrote. And, as the video did a great job, it, the ending is not in the page. It's not in the, in the Bible. The ending is outside the Bible. The ending is in one's life. So, as the disciples learn 
who Jesus is as the Christ and the Son of God, in their death, they are at the same point as at the end of the Gospel of Mark. Because who have we not seen at the end of the Gospel of Mark? Let me see Jesus. So they have to go to Galilee to go see Jesus. Now, of course, I think I've said this many times in Williams Bible study. Of course, we know they go to Galilee because the church is here. Right? So, um, in the same way, as, as we enter into death, we are fully at this point of faith of accepting or realizing who the Son of God is because he's the one who will then lead us into the resurrection. And that is precisely who Jesus Christ is. Son of God is the one who has died and risen again. So that in, in the Gospel of Mark, so we we're learning about who Jesus is. As we learn about who Jesus is, that's precisely our way of discipleship. The the way. So at the beginning, well, let me not get ahead of myself. Um, so of course, as we follow Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, we'll see that Jesus is a a uh, peculiar teacher and leader. He's always in a hurry. Now, uh, we have the finials in our church on the lectern, the finials, the, the top of the, the, the heads. They're not idols. They're symbols of the Gospels, Gospel writers, or the, 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 well, the books of the Bible. So, uh, actually, it's from Ezekiel chapter 1, first, like, 10-ish, or I don't know. It's right in the, way, right in the beginning of Ezekiel. We have these creatures flying around the throne of God. They have wings, and uh, they, they kind of look like human. They have like human forms, but they, they got like a bunch of heads. And but the distinguishing heads for each of these creatures are: one has a human head, one has a lion head, one has an ox head, and one has a eagle head. So the lion has been attributed to Mark because Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Kind of acts like a lion. He's bounding, he's snarling, he's being hunted. Um, and of course, he's killed. But so in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is a, is a peculiar image versus like John or even uh, Luke. So of course, when we hear Jesus and lion, who do we think of? I was thinking more of Aslan, Aslan, who is the Lion King, but not not Simba. Um, Aslan from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and we just we just read this with I read this with some of my kids. There's a great scene in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where okay, so anybody who's never seen or heard this or what read this or seen this, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is uh, about a, um, a, a, a two sisters and two brothers who. Um, walk through a wardrobe into a magical kingdom named Narnia that is um, under the tyrannical rule of the uh, winter witch or the, the ice witch. Who calls her the ice queen? Calls herself the queen. It's internally winter, but never quite Christmas. Um, and, and the children walk into this, and she's afraid of them because they're sons of Adam and Eve. So, like, she knows that they are closer to God than, than any other creature. So that she's afraid. 
But the king of Narnia is Aslan, a lion. And as the kids are learning about Narnia, they meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they go to the Beaver's Lodge, and uh, they find out who Aslan is. They don't know who Aslan is, and the Beavers can't believe it. you never heard of Aslan? It's crazy. They heard he's on the move, which means things are about to change in Narnia. The witch is, uh, her time is up. And um, he's the king, so Lucy, the youngest of the siblings, uh, asks, you know, hey, is this, uh, well, no, she asks a very question. She's like, well, it, is he safe? So they've heard all these things, and he sounds like, he sounds like a wild animal. He's like, well, but he's supposed to save the place, so, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of him. So she asks um, the beavers, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, you know, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver responds like, have you not been paying attention? This is, this is the king. He's, uh, and I, I think I wrote it down here. Um, oh, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Um, that's Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. I mean, it's a great image of Jesus. Jesus is not a safe person in the Gospel of Mark. He is, uh, how that gets played out in the Gospel of Mark are a variety of ways. One is, Jesus in, in uh, the English Standard Version that are on their tables, Jesus is always in a hurry, immediately, 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 or uh, straight away. Sometimes it's translated, but in Greek it's always the same word. Um, you you have it happening forty times in the Gospel of Mark. I think it's forty. I wrote that down. Yeah, which is the same amount as the entire rest of the New Testament. That word. So Mark's 16 chapters, 40, that's more than two times a chapter. But most of those immediately actually happen in the first eight chapters. So you are, you're, you're in a hurry. So even though Jesus is the one that's going to be hunted, you also know that Jesus is on the move. And just like Aslan, things are, time's up. Things are, things are going to really change. The other interesting thing, though, and the, the great thing about the video is, is that um, they use Acts, like X1, X2, X3. By the way, I don't know if anybody, I was confused the first time I watched it when they made reference to Jesus on the cross to mimic Acts 1 and 2. I thought they were talking about the Bible. So. Yeah, right. He was just, they were talking about the, yeah, the, the, the drawing, Acts 1 and Acts 2, yeah. That's not the book of the Bible. I was like, wait a second. That's not right. And then I thought, well, maybe he meant Mark 1 and 2. And I was like, wait a second. I'm back at it. Okay. So um, uh, the reason why that's really helpful is because in the Gospel of Mark, and I, uh, Pastor Bukes or I will show this to you, or at least snippets of it. But the Gospel of Mark was actually performed on Broadway by Sir Alex um, uh, McGinnis. And it, I, I'm enraptured by it. I love it. When was it done? It was in the 80s. It was first, it was first done in London. It was so popular. Then it, then it came to New York. And it was, it was just him. Just by himself. He's on stage. 
a table and some chairs, and then um, he has a nice little introduction about the Gospel of Mark, and he, he actually leaves the Bible on the table just in case he needs to look up a line. Um, but on the table is just a, uh, a plate and a, a cup, maybe a pitcher of water. So he actually, he actually recites the Gospel. Now, Mary, we had the pleasure of doing this with the high school students many years ago. And, of course, I was the only one who was really excited about it. <laughs> they were like, when are we going to the water park? Uh, however, it was important. But the reason why that was that, that they use Acts 1, 2, and 3, you know, these different Acts, it's real helpful because Mark is actually written in a way that is a, it's a form of drama. And so you, you have uh, Alex McGinnis reciting this story, and it is, I mean, he, he tells the story. He's literally telling you a story. And by now, I mean, like when I start watching it, I feel like I'm, I'm watching some guy telling me a story. Not, you know, not reciting back to me scripture. Um, because it's, it's so action-packed. Now, the thing is, though, is that that makes sense when someone tells me a story. But when you read in the Bible, it doesn't work that way. And so this goes to the other way that Jesus exiled the lion. In the Gospel of Mark, it's written with a historic present. It's, with, it's how we often talk, but not how we write. Mark chapter 1, verse... Uh, well, I should actually turn to it. It's the baptism of Jesus, along with his temptation. But this happens, uh, oof, like a, over 100 times in Mark. But it's, it's very rarely ever translated that way. So Mark chapter 1. So, okay, um, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now this is in verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. That's not actually what's written in the Greek. The historic present is. So it'd be like this. Holly and I, a few years ago, we went to Quebec. And we were, we were um, walking down the street. Now, as I, so it's all past tense now, right? We're all past tense. But in order to make the story more lively, I'll put myself in the present. Holly and I are walking down the street. You hear that? There's a difference between we were walking down the street, all of a sudden we're put into this story. The Gospel of Mark does this continually, where Mark makes a reference to the past, and then all of a sudden he's talking in the present, as if we're brought into the story. Now, that, that makes very confusing English as we read. But, as a storyteller, we didn't have really any exciting stories on the, the trip to Quebec. I don't know, I was just trying to think of something. But I just remember walking down the street. A lot of walking. Well, for me it was. It's a very beautiful place. You should go. Um, but, I should have worked on that more. But anyways, the whole point, though, is that the historic present is a, is a mechanism for us as, as um, uh, listeners to be engaged in this, this, this story that's happening at a very fast pace. So the, the, the Greeks actually says the spirit immediately drives him into the 
drives him into the desert. So it's like present tense. And he is in the wilderness. So, hey, he was baptized. Then the spirit drives him into the wilderness. He's in the, he's in the, 40, he's in for, the wilderness for 40 days. And then the, that's entirely present tense in that whole, the, uh, verses 2, 12, and 13. Yeah, so it's historic, meaning historic, it's past. Past tense is part of history. But I'm not using the past tense. I'm using present tense language. And oftentimes, you, you, might, you should think about it, because I think I hear this all the time when people are talking. Because it's just a way of telling stories. Because you're imagining yourself back in that moment. Yeah, okay, great. So, Jesus acts like a lion. He's, he's all over the place in a hurry. Immediate, well, oh, and that's, I'm sorry, in verse 12 again, uh, you have the, the spirit immediately. But it has already happened in verse 10. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Boom, 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 boom. All right, the other thing, too, though, is that there's 40 scene changes in the Gospel of Mark. So, I think I might have said this before. You ever wonder why there's a map in the back of your Bible? It's because of stories like the Gospel of Mark. So, Jesus already, well, I'm sorry, even before Jesus comes along, um, in verse 5, John the baptizer, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him. Well, first of all, he is in the Jordan River. So, does anyone know where Judea and Jerusalem are in relationship to the Jordan River? Right? So, you got to think about it. Well, Judea and Jordan are south. Jordan River is north. So, you think about, you got to think about this picture now. You this, this whole, the south. And what does it say? All the country. Okay, is that literal? No. I mean, there won't be anybody left in the, in the bottom. But I'm sure there was people still down there. But the image is, is you have this great, huge throng of people migrating up to the north, which is a, a very powerful image for us because some, something is happening. Something major is happening. We're actually going to get to verse 1. It all happens in verse 1. But um, So you have this Judea and Jerusalem coming. Boom. Then Jesus will, um, then they go to, uh, so Jordan River. Now he's on the Sea of Galilee. Then he's in Capernaum. Then he's going to go to Tyre and Sidon. I think it's at the end of chapter 2 of verse, which is not close. I mean, you, you're like, he's here, then he's here, then he's here, then he's here, he's here. I mean, it's all over the place. Well, that's exactly right. So you have this. But the funny thing, though, is so he, not only is his pace in a hurry, but his space is all over the place. So he, he is bounding. I mean, it's just, he's just all over. I don't say he's scattered. He's not a scatterbrain, but he's all over. And, and so that really develops then to the drama of the Gospel of Mark, which I, which I like. But of course, as the, uh, it's not like I said, it's not scatterbrain. It's not like in the video did a good job. So the traditional understanding of who wrote the Gospel of Mark is John Mark, who was a, um, like a disciple of Peter, 
who took down Peter. So the, Peter, the Gospel of Mark is Peter's Gospel in a sense. Matthew had his Gospel. John had his Gospel. Now who would be Luke's Gospel? St. Luke's, yeah. So who, who, who do you think that would be? It's, it's kind of up for debate, but I want you to just think about Mary. Mary, who else? It's actually a bunch of people. Some people say Paul, because he traveled with Paul. But um, it says already in the Gospel of Luke, number one. Hey, I went all over the place and asked a bunch of people about Jesus. First eyewitness accounts. So basically, yeah, when you, when you hear about Elizabeth, Luke probably talked to Elizabeth. When you hear about Mary, he probably talked to Mary. You know, so it's all the Gospels. But anyways, but Mark is uh, kind of known as Peter's Gospel. So, it, but the, the thing is, though, is that um, it says here, it's not like John Mark just took these stories and kind of like, hey, let's just paste them together like a collage. But he actually, uh, you know, he's using, he's, he's, a, he's an author, style, artwork. And so some of those things are already introduced in John, uh, Mark chapter 1. Was there a hand up here over here, though? Did you have a hand up, Ellie? Right. Yeah, now, um, yep. And so the other theory that wasn't mentioned, too, is that John Mark is actually in the gospel, and he's the naked man at the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that was like a... Uh, sort of a way of back in the old days of, of kind of revealing who the author was without saying written by John Mark. So um, in the Gospel of John, it's John's Gospel, but how do we know that it's John's Gospel? Because he refers to himself not in the first, first person, but as the beloved disciple. So it's kind of a um, passive way of Anyways, so yeah, so not only did John Mark, uh, you know, just just uh, be a disciple of Peter, but he does have some interaction with Jesus himself. So it's a it's a um, it, you know it's kind of a it's a it's not an eyewitness account. Well, although that would be an eyewitness account where he ran away naked, but um, but the um, but really relying on Peter's stories and retellings, Peter's preaching and teaching. But the thing is, though, so there's artistry in that, and that that's what kind of reveals John Mark's kind of authorship and his beauty. And so in, in Mark chapter 1, you have these themes that's already come out in the video. The baptism of Jesus, Mark chapter 1, 9 through 11, you have the heavens torn open. In the other Gospels, the heavens are open. So when we think of tearing, that also conjures up images that happens in Mark chapter 15, verse 38, when Jesus dies. The veil is torn open. So what you have in the Gospel of Mark is you have these bookends of, of heaven opening. And what's everything in between it? The story of Jesus. You have uh, the Heavenly Father saying to Jesus, You're my beloved Son. Mark 15, verse 39. You have a confession of what's happened in between? The story of Jesus. So things that are introduced in the beginning now come to fruition at the very end. And that's why most likely in the early church, the Gospel of Mark was always re- uh, read in its entirety. And that's why the Alex McGinnis, uh, or McCowan, did I say McGinnis before? McCowan, 
uh, when he went to Broadway, he, he did the whole play, and it's about 90 minutes. Like a, like, just him. And um, so, you, yeah, you're like, oh, hey, what's going to happen next? What's, you know? And then, well, then you find out. But, um, uh, yeah, and they've already hinted to some of that artistry already, too, so we don't need to talk more about that. But, all right, now the other interesting thing about the Gospel of Mark, and it just highlights in there, but I want to make sure that we keep that in the back of our mind, is that Jesus is, is called rabbi, which means teacher, the most in the Gospel of Mark, but he teaches the least in the Gospel of Mark. Come on. So they mentioned the four parables in the video. That's, that's it. <laughs> Jesus really doesn't have many teachings. So the teachings actually happen like a lion. His, his action-packed confrontations with the religious leaders, the demons, and the ineptness of the disciples. So it's, yeah, so his, his mainly most of his teaching happens through these actions. And there's 17 miracles that happen in the Gospel of Mark, and proportionally that's more than any other Gospels. So he has the least amount of speaking, and the most, most uh, proportionally the most acting, or actions. So, um, and that's, that's important for us to kind of contemplate as we read this. All right, so Mark chapter 1, verse 1. There's a whole bunch of other fun things, but I... We'll just have to... Yeah. All right. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That, in a nutshell, is the title of the gospel. So, the beginning... RK. Um, when you think about in the beginning, what do you think about? Creation. Creation. And if you know the Gospel of John, you might think about John. This is important because the, Mark is writing a creation story. But is this an old creation? No, this is a new creation. So when Mark is writing, he, is, he knows that there's a new world that's coming about. All right. Um, what is this new world called? In the Gospel Mark, it's called the Kingdom of God. Jesus' first preaching is in um, verse four, 15. I mean, it starts at verse 14, but the time is fulfilled and the Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. So Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, he's, there's this creation happening. Okay. Now, the reason why, the beginning too, though, um, it, well, it's also you know, the first verse in the book, right? So it's the beginning that way too. But this beginning, though, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So the beginning of this story actually doesn't happen in verse 1, but it happens when? In Isaiah. Now this, this quote actually is not a quote from Isaiah only. I think the, the video might have said Malachi. It's, it's from Malachi also. So Isaiah 40, and then um, Malachi 3? Is that what it says? Okay, good. 
Um, it's, it's about the voice, the, the, the sending the messengers. Now, the thing is, though, if you know Isaiah 40, and you know Malachi, though, especially for Isaiah 40, does anyone, anyone want to take a shot at what Isaiah 40 is talking about when they're sending this messenger? At the end of Isaiah 40, you all of a sudden have this beautiful, wonderful place that God's children is going to go to. Which reminds you of Eden. So the beginning of the gospel of the Son of God. So Mark is un, is he is making it explicit that this gospel is in line with Holy Scripture from the beginning, and that this unveiling of who Jesus is is precisely the intention of, of Genesis chapter one. That Jesus is not a is is the fulfillment of everything that's happening. Which is, you know, kind of exciting. All right. So, um, all right. The next, the uh, the word gospel. Gospel is um, glad tidings. The uh, which reminds also too of Isaiah. Um, Christmas time, right? Angels. So, um, yeah, gospel, good news. That's where we get the word, you know, evangelism from. Now, the thing is, though, where was Mark written, according to the video? Happened right away in the beginning. Rome. Yes, there's a theory that it was written in Jerusalem. That's, like, the least popular. I thought that's kind of interesting, too. But, yeah, Peter was in Rome. So he's right in Rome. So if you have, if you have, good, if you have a gospel in Rome, it means something completely different. Uh, uh, the gospel in the Roman world actually is a description of an imperial victory. So, um, uh, uh, Titus was a uh, big, he's the guy who uh, went into Jerusalem, right, to destroy the, the, the temple. I think it was an Anthony Hopkins movie. Uh, which I always got confused with Titus in the Bible. I thought, well, this guy's terrible. I mean, what's going on here? Um, anyways, so uh, they got a victory. Okay, they need to send word back to the emperor. What are they going to send? They're going to send a gospel back. And they send it through an angel, a messenger, Angelos. So you're in, the go- you're, you're in Rome saying, hey, I have a gospel to tell. I have actually an imperial victory to tell. That is, that's a big deal. But it has nothing to do with the way the world fights Okay. Yeah. Was, was Mark going to speak of the end? Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, yes, at times. Yeah, I mean, some, some of it is, is that we, uh, you know, we think about when we sit down and we wrote a book, right? He just probably sat for an afternoon. Just... The writing could have taken over, you know, a certain amount of time. And, you know, in the in Acts, oh, we know that John Mark was with Peter, but he's also with Paul. So I'm not sure exactly when all that was written. Yeah. But most likely, this was, I mean, this was written in Rome. You know, I, just, I can't say for certain if the whole thing was, because we don't really have any. So you died from the I can't, I don't know. John Mark. Well, Peter did. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
All right. Now, anyways, so, um, yeah, so got, Mark's saying, hey, we have, a, we have an imperial victory that has nothing to do with Caesar, but, of course, has to do with Jesus of Christ, Jesus Christ. So Jesus, of course, is the Old Testament version, or New Testament version of Joshua. So um, what does Joshua mean? What does Yeshua mean? We get this from Matthew chapter 1. God saves, right? Or Yahweh saves. So we have a story that is a, create, a creation story that is a, about a pure victory, but it's not about how Caesar does anything, but it's about God himself. Yahweh saves. Now, of course, though, there's another Joshua in the Old Testament, right? Who is the guy who takes over for Moses? What was Joshua's role in the salvation of the Old Testament people? Yeah, let him into the promised land to continue what Moses, right? So Moses brought him out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the 40, day, or 40 years of, in the wilderness. And, of course, you know, he screws up and he can't go into the promised land. But Joshua leads the victory march into the promised land. Through the Jordan River. Through the Jordan River. Yeah. So, of course, you know, where is Jesus baptized? Um, the, uh, well, yeah, I really want to go on a tangent now, but I'm not going to, because when it talks about going across the Jordan, it's explicit reference to what Marilyn says. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. So now it's the new Joshua. He's going to bring the people into the new promised land. And of course, Joshua though. He also has to fight the enemy, right? He, there's an occupying force in the promised land, and he has to, you know, he has to, he has to take care of business. So we have a new Josh. We have a God who's saving us, and this new Joshua who's going to uh, clear, clear the land in a sense. Of course, though, then there's more to it because you have the word Christ. Word Christ is the Anointed One, and in the Old Testament. There are Christs in the Old Testament. There are anointed ones. Who comes to mind for those who might? Yes, David is the number one. David is the anointed king, and he is the, uh, yeah, the anointed one par excellence. I won't say penultimate, even though I always do. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Uh, Carol, I always think of Carol when I say that word, because she's corrected me. All right, anyways, but uh, when David was anointed in 1 Samuel 16, if you want to, let, we, we can turn to it. We, well, we got a couple minutes. Turn to it. You guys want to turn to it? You can take my word for it, but let's, 1 Samuel, verse 16, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 13. So David is anointed king. And what happens to him when he's anointed in verse 13? I better make sure I have this right. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So, Jesus is the Christ who's baptized. Um, and then what happens? Spirit comes down, right? 
he when, descends him like a dove, which is different than rushing in, but rushing also reminds us of Pentecost. Well, yeah, uh, yes, rushing, Jesus is always in a rush, but the rushing wind, a mighty wind, from Acts chapter 2. Okay, that's a tangent, Never disregard that. So, um, so when Jesus is the Christ, he's the anointed king who has now the spirit of the Lord, spirit of God. So this is really important for us because there are, there are references to Jesus as son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the triumphal entry. Hosanna to the son of David. Then you also have um, references to Jesus in um, uh, some of the blind people or some of the people who are seeking miracles, they call, they make reference to Jesus' Davidic, Davidic, Davidic reign. Which, uh, okay, so great. So, um, that, that, so, uh, so what we have here now in the title is you have Romans or Gentiles. You get, are getting pretty excited about this story. Ooh, hey, imperial victory. That has nothing to do with Caesar. And then you have a, you have a Hebrew connection. So if you think about it, throughout the Gospel of Mark, well, in Rome, you have Jews and Gentiles in a congregation together. And Peter is, is speaking God's word to them in a way they can hear, both can hear. And you find that out in the Gospel of Mark also, too, because certain, certain Hebrew words are, like translated, explained, which they're not in the other Gospels. But in the um, uh, title of verse, you know, chapter 1, verse 1, 1, 1, you have... You have a lot of things that are like really exciting for people. Ooh, this sounds like a good story already. But you have the most important one, and that is uh, Son of God. Beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. Son of God is an imperial title. Uh, Julius Caesar, Emperor Julius Caesar. You know, he was... He was... Uh, Assassinated by um, Mark Anthony and Brutus. I didn't, Brutus is the guy who stabbed him, though, right? I can't think of uh, what's his name. Not Burt Lancaster. Come on, who's the other guy? The British guy, Elizabeth Taylor. Richard Burton. Richard Burton. He was he was he Mark Anthony or Brutus? Okay. That's why I always, yeah, right. okay. Okay, <laughs> anyways, all right, Julia, okay, so, uh, yes, there was a uh, assassination, and then uh, Augustus becomes emperor, and he declares himself to be son of God. He takes the title of the son of God, and Tiberius and Claudius after him also maintain this title. So it's the highest title of a human, because he, he participates in the pantheon of the gods. So, okay. So Mark says, hey, I have a story to tell. It's a creation story that's, that's about an imperial victory, how God saves us 
through an anointed one, anointed king, who is really the son of God. And it's this guy from Nazareth. And he's saying this in Rome. That explains a lot when it comes to Peter, you know, being martyred and a lot of early Christians. This is, this is a, uh, this is confrontational, just like a lion. You can't mess around with a lion. And so Mark's image of Jesus is a, a very, uh, a very strong name. I mean, a strong image. It's very powerful. Um, but what we find out, though, is that um, he exemplifies power in a very upside-down way. So as Mark tells the story, and the Hebrews and the Jews are like, man, I've got to hear this story. This is great. It's so exciting. Where is the victory? Where does this all happen? It happens in Jesus' death. The Gospel of Mark has been known as a passion story with a very long introduction. Because everything is rushing towards the crucifixion. Um, and that's, that's really helpful, because if you think about you know, you're in Rome, and you're claiming these things. You need a story that's going to help you die. And that's Gospel of Mark, especially. Um, okay, great. That all happens in the, in the title. And now we are going to start the rest of the book. Is, um, so, you don't have any reading assignments. Feel free to read the Gospel of Mark as you, at your leisure. But it's a short book, and we will... We will read it together in class also. A lot faster than one verse. So, okay. Is there any questions uh, about, I mean, this is kind of all introductory level, so, but um, I'm excited. I'm excited for it. I, I, this is my favorite gospel. So, um, but if you do want to know what we're going to do next week, we'll definitely get through. Um, the uh, John's preaching, baptism, uh, temptation, calling the disciples. We should theoretically we should get through first ch- chapter one. We're we're gonna, we're gonna do our best to do this because we don't, we don't have that many weeks left before the summer, and uh, so there could be a chance if we at least get through chapter eight, that would be good. Okay, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We'll see you next week.